Good morning and welcome to the Berean Post devotional podcast, where we take a deep dive into the scriptures to find new insights and practical application for our modern lives. I'm your host, Duane, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have you with us today. Each day we'll explore a different passage from the Bible, unpacking its meaning and exploring how it can guide our lives for today. So grab your Bible, your favorite drink, and get ready for an exciting journey of discovery. And if you want to stay up to date on all of our latest podcasts and blogs, be sure to check out brilliantpost.ca. Also, join our Facebook group where we call ourselves Bright Future Bible Freaks, and we have a lot of fun there together. But right now, we're going to get started and jump right into today's devotional. Good morning or afternoon now. Welcome to another podcast of the um, Brian Post devotional. For those of you that have been following along, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and we are still in Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 12 to 15. This is actually part 7, and there's probably going to be a few more. And so I apologize. This will be a lengthy post, but I'm going to jump in. I'm going to start by reading the text. Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the word of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord... Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done, and there's no partiality. Well, as I approach today's text, I wanted to wrap up the body of thought in this passage, but now I realize that this is not feasible because Paul is delving into the practical application of the gospel after laying the groundwork in the introduction. In the section of the text, Paul provides instructions to specific groups of people within the kingdom, namely wives, fathers, children, and bond servants. Therefore, we will examine uh, each group in detail in separate devotional blogs, and this is is kind of imperative. Well, the passage before us unequivocally states that wives should submit to their husbands. 
uh, a meaning that can't be altered, just like the command for husbands to love their wives cannot be altered, or similarly, the command for slaves in the text to be obedient to their masters cannot be altered. Now, the concept of a woman submitting to men or slavery uh, may, you know, this, these kinds of contexts may give the skeptics of the Bible a sense of justification to claim that the Bible and these archaic, archaic ideas should be banned or, or burned. Popular culture claims that the Bible and religions derived from it are misogynistic. Uh, this term refers to attitudes or behaviors that display a strong dislike or prejudice against women, often leading to <clears throat> discrimination or mistreatment based on the fact that they're women, their gender. While some passages in the Bible could uh, be interpreted as discriminatory, the overall message of the Bible does not promote misogyny. In fact, compared to other religions, the Bible gives women important roles and speaks out against mistreatment, advocating for the protection and rights, and that can be seen in the Levitical law and in the command to honor your mother and father. So, regrettably, um, some rabbis in Jewish history um, have attributed uh, responsibility for the temptation and for temptation and sin to women. And th th this is evidenced in the Talmud and the Midrash, the Midrash, the Midrash, the Midrashic text. I'm having trouble with that word. Um, and, it, and it's possible, it's quite possible that, that individuals in Christian circles also adopted this viewpoint. However, the notion that women are responsible for all the world's problems is more aligned with Greek mythology as seen in the story, for instance, of uh, Pandora's box than with true Christian theology. Christian theology emphasizes that sin entered in the world into the world through Adam's transgression, not Eve's deception. Various religious groups, um, including Christians, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims, and Jews, have had some uh, known to perpetrate brutal abuse in the name of religion using uh, scriptural text to justify their actions. However, I can I can only speak to the Christian faith, and I can confidently say to to anyone that no sane Bible teacher or preacher would promote the idea of a man being the boss of beatings in his home. Any man, particularly a Christian man, who abuses his wife or children, is a sick individual who needs serious help. But still, the Bible says that wives are to submit to their husbands. So are you offended by Paul's instructions for wives to submit to their husbands? If so, you're not alone. This text offends many modern readers, including scholars and teachers. And some try to interpret it differently to make the Christian message more appealing, but there's no denying the text's clear meaning. Similarly, the text commands husbands to love their wives and slaves to obey their masters, even though the concept of slavery is so repugnant to modern readers. While, this, while there is contextual nuance, the meaning of the text remains unchanged. The shifting culture and societal values can cause offense to modern readers, but the question arises whether or not these shifting cultural changes have left us for the better or worse. 
A thought-provoking passage in the book of Genesis reads, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Some scholars interpret this as a foretelling of a woman's desire to control or dominate her husband, and Paul may be addressing this dynamic resulting from the fall. On both counts, a man ruling over his wife, too. God's original plan for man and woman is reflected in the command to be fruitful and multiply, which was given to both Adam and Eve. They were both responsible for having dominion over the earth. However, after humanity's fall, this divine order was disrupted and what was once passionate love between a man and a woman became a desire to dominate and rule over each other. And this explains the current state of the world where mutual respect and understanding between men and women are, are, are lacking and are on spiraling um, rapidly downhill, in, in my opinion. According to the biblical account in Genesis 1-4, to men were created to assume roles of leaders, protectors, and providers, while women were created to be helpers, creators, and nurturers. Both positions were divinely represented in the creation of males and females, reflecting the different aspects of God's nature. In the Bible, God is portrayed as a, in masculine ways, such as a powerful king with authority and leadership. However, some passages depict God as nurturing and protective, a protective like a, a mother hen um, uh, sheltering her chicks. Psalms 91, uh, hiding under the shadow of his wings, or for instance, the gospel in Matthew, of uh, Matthew, where Jesus laments over Jerusalem, Jerusalem's rejection of him, saying, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who would kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I would have longed to gather you as children, as hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were you were not willing." This is the imagery of a mother hen providing, uh, a, providing up, and it provides a powerful illustration of God's caring nature. So we must acknowledge that social norms continually evolve and should we shouldn't let them deceive us. Just as an apple and an orange are both fruit, they have, dis they, they have distinct differences in taste, appearance, and texture, making it impossible to compare them as equals in any other regard except that they both belong to the category of fruit or food. One cannot claim that one fruit is superior to the other. They're simply different, but should be treated equally with the same dignity and respect with regards to them being fruit. And the same argument applies to men and women. While they differ in many aspects as human beings, they both deserve the same level of respect and dignity that life confers upon them. But it's crucial to acknowledge it and honor that every individual's inherent it's crucial to acknowledge every individual's inherent worth regardless of gender. But the Bible affirms equality between man and a woman only concerning the relationship to sin and to Jesus Christ, in which there is no distinction, I should say, and Jesus um <clears throat> only with with regards to the relationship to sin and redemption that can be found in Jesus Christ, in which there's no distinction at that point between male and female. Yes, in that sense, we're equal. However, the Bible does not suggest 
that were equal in capacity, function, or role equality. Despite the world's attempt to blur these extension, uh, uh, distinctions, men and women are inherently different and cannot be compared equally. God created men and women to complement each other, and this complementary relationship works best when women allow men to fulfill their God-given responsibilities. Women are called to submit to their husbands within this context. The man's responsibility is to establish a secure atmosphere in which the woman can carry out one of the most significant callings in the world, the nurturing and caring for another person, the molding of their personality and this inspiring of hope, um, drive and inspiration into their children's during the most crucial and formative time, the formative years. In this context, Paul teaches, it's this, this is the context in, in which women teaches, uh, teaches, it's this context rather that women teaches, um, that Paul teaches women to submit to their husbands. So although some preachers and teachers misuse passages like this to justify mistreating their wives and children, they do so by overlooking the qualifier in this very text. Notice how Paul instructs women on how to submit to their husbands. And the phrase is this, it's as is fitting in the Lord. This implies that submission should be appropriate and consistent with the Lord's teachings. This means that submission should not, submission should not be blind or lacking discernment, but in accordance with God's will. Paul emphasizes submission's significance to promote harmony and order within the family while recognizing mutual responsibilities and obligations between both spouses. Ultimately, the phrase underscores the importance of mutual respect and love and understanding in a marriage. Paul also teaches that men and women are equal in Christ and have significant roles in the church. For instance, um, you can look at Gal Gal Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 28. While some of Paul's instructions may seem to be restrictive to the modern reader, such as his teachings on head coverings and submissions, it's crucial to understand the, the cultural context and interpret them in light of his overall message of love, unity, and mutual respect in Christ. Now, my own experience as I contemplate on my own experience, I'm grateful that my wife and I never felt like we were competing against each other in our marriage. Instead, we, we naturally aligned with a biblical affirming perspective rather than a con confrontational one. And that's not to say we did not have troubles and struggles in the beginning years of our marriage. And for a loving wife, it can be challenging to allow her husband to grow in his role as a godly leader in the home. But my wife gave me grace and time to develop my leadership skills. And despite my mistakes and poor decisions, she never tried to manipulate or, con or controlled me. We discussed difficult choices together thoroughly. And even when we disagreed, she supported my final decisions. However, I've learned never to make a decision without seeking my wife's advice. This, because, this is because a woman, I've learned, possesses a unique sense of intuition 
a perspective and an insight that men often lack. And I believe this was by the divine design because man was not meant to rule over his wife, but meant to rule and have dominion with her. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Brian Post Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion and it's brought you some encouragement and insight. Hey, if you want to stay up to date with all of our latest blogs, posts, and podcast episodes, be sure to visit brianpost.ca and subscribe. Don't forget to share our website with your friends who might need some inspiration or motivation. You can also join our community of bright future Bible freaks on Facebook. Until next time, may peace and blessings abound in your home.